to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 203. I'm your host, Helena Levin, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Bokman and Brian Ego. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! All right, trips. Hello, Brian. Welcome back. Hey, hey. Oh, happy new year, I should say to you guys. I mean, it's not yeah, It's not when we're recording, we... but by the time this goes yes. out, it will be Sorry. a happy new year. Yeah. As we release it, indeed. Yeah. Excellent. So did you have a great time over new year? <laughs> <laughs> we don't I know yet. I will have had, probably. That is impressive grammar. Well done, yeah. Uh, let's say if, if people can hear this episode, we've made it over the year. And so um, we we don't know yet that yet. As we record... Well, well not necessarily. Like I mean, I guess if, if Yelena and I don't make it, as long as you get the edit out and get it out... So yeah. you, That's true. You I know, was thinking of myself, of course, if, mostly. If the episode yeah. makes it to air, it means that Pontus <laughs> at least is still alive. And of course, we know that Andras isn't, you know. Pontus may have killed <laughs> off the rest of us at the same time. Could, could be, could be. But I'm... So... Speaking of the new year, going into, some say it's not a new decade. I I choose to say that it is a new decade. Isn't it supposed to be the Roaring Twenties or something? I feel very positive about the new decade anyway. Uh, well, well, I, I'm not entirely sure why. But, it's the power um, of round numbers. No, I, I just you have to have a positive attitude. It can't be as bad as last year, can it? Surely, surely not. Now, I, who, who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll, I'll make it the Roaring Twenties. I'll start my roaring right at midnight on New Year's Eve, and then we'll see. Perfect. <laughs> All right, how have you been, Brian? I've been good. Christmas has been fun. And and I guess since since I spoke to you guys last, we had uh, in Glasgow, we had Matt Dillahunty come to visit. That was Ooh, a lot yeah. of fun. Really good event. And, and I got to hang out with him the night before as well. He uh, gave me what I can only describe as a proper humping at snooker. Um, <laughs> he's he's a bit of okay. a demon with the cue. Uh, well. Not that it takes much to make me look bad, mind you. But yeah, he, he's a lovely guy. We had a great time. The show was fantastic. And you know, in, in addition to that, I got to speak to a, a group of, uh, of students um, shortly after that as well. Biotechnology students from Clyde College in Glasgow, they asked me to come along and talk about scepticism and conspiracy theories and had loads of fun doing that. And it was a, I'm going to say it was a real eye opener for those young students. I gave them a lot of kind of scepticism 101 stuff, which uh, certainly made their eyes pop out in the right places. So yeah, it's, it's been great. Yeah, good times. I, I I try to do that. I mean, a couple of no, more than a couple, maybe eight to ten times a year. I I get uh, invitations to go out to schools to talk uh, to classes, and it's uh, it's always fantastic. I think, and also they they teach me things because some of the questions I get are very very smart indeed. So that makes it um, also I I get hopeful for the future when I speak to the young people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, mm. Although I guess. Maybe it's self-selecting a little bit. The type of people that we get to speak to um, are, are perhaps more interested in the message we have. I mean, the fact that I was talking to some college students, um, you know, higher education is a, is, is a good step in the way to avoiding pseudoscience, I guess. So yeah. 
Yeah, you should take your speech uh, to the streets then, on the street corners or on, on the squares or the parks. Yeah, yeah, in you find London there is a, a Me corner. Me with a loud hailer shouting yeah. homeopathy's bollocks. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that would go <laughs> down well. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, good. Um, so I have been uh, browsing the webs, the tinter webs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I fa- found something uh, exciting to kind of mention just at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. from our friends uh, at Ratio Society yeah, in Lubo. Bulgaria. Yes, that's right. Lubo and his group. He's um, he's very active, actually. He's got a podcast, which we can also promote here. Listen to it if you are Bulgarian speakers. And he puts up a few big uh, events every year. And they're already advertising for Ratio 2020 June event. It's happening on June 13th, 2020. Mm-hmm. So much so, they're so organized, you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've announced few speakers, uh, one of which is Christopher French. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's going to be speaking in Bulgarian. Well, oh, so they, they've said they've said it on their event page that they've got a couple of English speakers. Uh, none of the English talks will be translated and they're all going to be in English. Hmm. But yeah. uh, the rest of the event will be in, in Bulgarian. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a super cheap, seven euros, and they called it super early bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for a day's a event. That's a bargain, right? For a whole day event. Yeah, we, we yeah, go. and and they hold it in this lovely place in Bulgaria, Sofia. So it's a beautiful little city. So um, I'd, I'd highly recommend. Me and Pont has been there before, so we know with Chris French actually. Yes. So I don't know what we did wrong because he got invited back, but uh, well, <laughs> you guys got got deported out of the country. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Chris yeah. had a great talk. Uh, well, he all, he has actually a few really good ones. So he yeah. <laughs> he's got variety going on, right? Exploding head syndrome, I think he talked about. That's... <laughs> wow. Yeah. They always so yeah educational and, and entertaining. But yeah, I just wanted to mention it. I know it's it's in, it's in June. It's still a long way to go. But since it's already uh, up, why not? Yeah, don't miss that super early bird. For per, for people in Europe, it's only uh, a couple of hours a flight away. Mm. Unlike for me. Yeah, yeah, a bit longer for you, right? A bit longer, yeah. All right. What about you, Pontus? Is there anything you want to mention from the S- Swedish skeptics? Not just yet, but I think that about next week, I will be able to tell you all who won the two prizes that the Swedish skeptics give out. But I can't tell yet because it's not public. It will be one negative prize and one positive prize. It's enlightener of the year, and then it is... It's hard to translate. Sometimes we try to translate it as confounder of the year, but that's really a mouthful. But somebody who has been really working to confuse the public about scientific things usually gets our negative prize. Okay, so do you know the winners already and you're just not telling us? That's true. I I do know. Uh, I can't (laughs) tell you because then I'll have to shoot you and then it'll be very short episode. You can tell us off air, right? We deserve <laughs> to know. <laughs> no, I will not tell. It is a very well-kept secret. I haven't even told my wife. So you, <laughs> not even if you marry me, Brian, I'll tell you. Um, P- Pontus, are these all uh, Swedish? Yes. A personality? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's okay. for people or organizations that have been active in Sweden. So technically it could be a f- foreign person organization, but it's typically Swedish. Swedish uh, recipients. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that announcement. All right. Um, So I guess we can move on. And uh, it's uh, it's me up next with uh, This Week in Skepticism. All right. 
So this event isn't as clearly defined as one day, but it's actually happened the week sort of starting the 4th of January back in 1762. So that was a few years ago. This week back in 1762 gave birth to a ghost story, the Cock Lane ghost story in London, England. And there's so many ghost stories. And if anyone ever been to London, it's full of ghost stores. And, you know, every single building probably in central London will have one. So this is just one of many and how it was born. It's a fairly, I'd say, usual development. And it uh, sort of uh, involves three key people in this uh, event. William Kent, who was a usurer. I had to actually Google that, that word. Uh, Usura was uh, a person who would lend money uh, on a very high interest rate. So he'd, ah. he'd, like a loan shark, yeah. Yeah, okay. So William Kent, a loan shark from Norfolk. Richard Parson, uh, who was a parish clerk, whom William Kent rented a room from. And Parson's daughter, Elizabeth. Basically, Richard Parson's not only gave William Kent a place to stay, but he also lended some money from him, which is always a bad, bad idea from loan sharks. And then later on, didn't want to pay, but then um, William Kent sued him and got his money out of Richard Parson via the legal means. So what happened later on is that as uh, Richard Parson and his daughter were living in the same premises together, they started hearing weird tapping noises in the house coming out of Parson's daughter Elizabeth's room. Even at some point, they claimed, or the daughter claimed, seeing a ghost. Also add to the story that William Kent had a wife who died. In fact, he had two wives who died, which was very suspicious. But anyway. In 1762, not so suspicious. I know, right? But Dr. Elizabeth claimed that the ghost she saw was the uh, dead uh, wife of William Kent. And apparently, uh, they got Ouija board involved and it devised a code, you know, of us asking the question to the ghost and then the tapping of yes and no answers. And they figured out apparently that the ghost said that she was murdered by William Kent, not died because mm -hmm. of the um, disease. Murdered by poisoning. Very inconveniently for William Kent and very conveniently for Richard Parson because he was wronged by Kent's lending practices and whatever else. So uh, this uh, story kind of attracted attention of the local press and they started um, writing about it in, uh, it's called the Derby Mercury, writing about the events that, that was happening in the house and it attracted several seances in the next sort of couple of weeks in January of that year where people would gather, they would sit around a table, they would invoke the usual, you know, mm -hmm. the, the ghost and the tapping would continue and th they would communicate that way. And so that gone on for a while. And then at some point during one of the later seances, the truth came out. I'm sure somebody probably noticed something during the, the the seances. So Elizabeth was making those noises all along. Surprise, fucking surprise. You don't say. And Whoa. she was making the knocking sounds with a small piece of wood that she hid in her clothes. The haunting of the house was, of course, a fraud, motivated by the disagreement between the William Kent and this um, clerk. And uh, in fact, from what I've gathered, the daughter was actually sort of made to do these noises by her father. So I don't think she wanted to particularly, but, you know, I don't think she had much choice either. Um, so there was a trial because, of course, during all these shenanigans, William Kent was accused of, <laughs> of a murder, which he didn't commit, right? Mm -hmm. So now this whole came out. And Parson was uh, sentenced to two-year imprisonment. 
and um, just don't do that to innocent people, basically. I know that William Kent wasn't the best person, but still, he didn't kill anyone. And so the story still lives on as a Cochrane ghost story and uh, being told whenever, if you go to London and you do one of those ghost tours, it'll be one of those places. Yeah. By tour guides like Andras. But- yes. <laughs> I know, right? Or slightly the, the less building- tour guides. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the actual building looks very nondescript, uh, you know, just like any other old building in uh, in old parts of London, and just reveals uh, yet another one of those, you know, yeah. made up stories. Yeah. Mm. So two points. Number one, uh, yeah, it does sound like a particularly lame kind of Scooby Doo esque um, plot that they've cooked up. <laughs> it's here. like almost like a yeah, like a caricature, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Secondly. Are you really saying Cock Lane? Well, I want to get the name of this street correct because it sounds filthy. Yes. C-O-C-K. Cock Lane, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So listeners, oh, if, even, any, if anybody in London says, would you like to come down Cock Lane with me? They're not taking you on a ghost hunt, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that didn't actually even cross my mind. Uh, my mind is that pure. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah. uh, you're right. This is how it's, uh, that's what it is, yeah. Wow. wow. As I was also reading about it, I was like, oh my God, people didn't have anything to talk about back then. They just, they were excited about some knocking noise and they wrote about it in newspapers. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I'm trying Basically, to get my dates right though, like is, like way back in the 1700s and there was Ouija boards and seances. That's like pre-Fox sisters, right? I think it is. I think the actual, not to nitpick, but I think the actual Ouija board was uh, copyrighted in the 1800s, right? In the late so this, 1800s. Would, this would be like a talking so, a talking board then, right? Some, like yeah, the, some the, sort of the, the similar device. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have called it a Ouija board, right? Because it's probably... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, mean, they, I guess they were just doing yes, no yeah. answers. Again, it just shows yeah. how boring it was back in the 1700s, you know? <laughs> Who wants they a game of ne- 20 questions with a, an imaginary ghost? Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 they didn't have Netflix back then, so, you know, there you go. they had to occupy. And it made it all the way to 2020, when I can say, right? So there you go. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Alrighty. And on with the show, we're going to poke the Pope with Pontus. Yes, among all the scandals that we have mentioned, we have talked about the US former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. McCarrick was widely regarded as the most prominent US Archbishop in the 90s, 1990s, although uh, allegations of his sex abuse of male adults were quote-unquote an open secret within the church. Gradually, allegations grew into also including minors. And in the early 2000s, the church started several internal investigations. They couldn't just ignore it anymore. Finally, and this took a long time, but finally in June last year, he was in last year, that's 2018. He was forced to resign as cardinal, and in February of 2019, he was formally defrocked by Francis. You can say it was upon time. But, uh, you know, we almost don't even pay attention anymore at those kind of stories. But now, last week, the Washington Post published new information about this case. Cardinal McCarrick apparently had access to an account called, quote, the Archbishop's Special Fund, which he could use to collect contributions from the public and, well, dispose of like he wanted. 
So he used his fund to send gifts to over a hundred recipients within the church. Several of those were directly involved in the ongoing investigations against him. And over $600,000 were paid by him from this fund. Now, the bombshell. Both John Paul II and later Benedict XVI were among the receivers, while they were popes. So John Paul II got a total of $90,000 and Benedict later, when he had become the Pope, got $291,000. So, just to summarize, it seems like an archbishop allegedly collected money from his own congregation and used that money to bribe church officials, including two sitting popes, while being investigated by that same church for sex abuse of members belonging to the congregation that gave him the money. Well, look, so you, that, you say advanced. bribe. Maybe he was just really generous. You know, when we've just passed Christmas, you know, people at Christmas time, some prefer to give rather than receive. Was he, I mean, was he just handing out cash to them or was it yeah. really? Well, checks. Checks. Sending checks, apparently. Oh, yeah. Not even a good present. Like not even not even like a fucking gift voucher. Just like how you <laughs> so thoughtless, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. If it wasn't for the child molestation, I would say that that was his worst crime. <laughs> so I, I you know, who can say technically, legally is this bribes, but uh, if it was, that's pretty spectacular. I mean, if we go back to the Middle Ages, I'm sure it happened all the time that you bribed the Pope. But but now, I, I think even I'm a little bit shocked by this. Yeah. I am impressed, yeah. however, that you're poking two Popes at the same time with the one story, though, Pontus. Yeah. A, 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 <laughs> I haven't even, haven't even mentioned the, the current one yet. Double Pope <laughs> penetration there, which is yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So... I have one other thing. Last week, we talked about the changed rules regarding the so-called papal secrecy. And Francis declared that it's no longer okay to use the so-called papal secrecy as an excuse not to talk about sex abuse or not to report it to the authorities. So the papal secrecy is basically a set of rules that says that you cannot, you, you need to have the Pope's permission to talk about certain certain things that can hurt the Catholic Church. But Francis came out and said sex abuse is no longer taboo. If it happens, you have to talk about it or at least report it to the police. Mm. But some people do not seem to have received a memo. There is something called the Bransfield Report, uh, which is the result of an internal investigation in West Virginia detailing the activities of a certain former bishop called Michael J. Bransfield, who was ousted from the Catholic Church for the usual things, you know, sex abuse and financial fraud as well. And we're talking, and now we're talking millions of dollars. Anyway, the, the appropriately called uh, spokesman for the church over there, a Mr. Tim Bishop, believe it or not, perfect, has has refused to make the report public since, quote, the report belongs to the Holy See. Well, it seems to me that that's directly contradicting the new rules. But in this case, it doesn't matter anymore because the Washington Post have received a copy of it and they have now made that public. But I wonder how many more of these secret reports are around. Does Francis really know or realizes what he has set set in motion here? All these secret reports lying around everywhere and he has said now it's no longer okay to hide them. I think we will 
see more of this uh, coming to light uh, coming going forward which of course is a good thing uh, we should give him credit for that okay for sure well, yeah but yeah you wonder if his latest decree is clear enough you know th- this may well help for you know any indiscretions that happen from this point onwards but he should be mm-hmm. extending that to say hey if there's anything that happened in the past that you've been keeping away in your bottom drawer somewhere then let's uh you know let's divulge the details now so come on frankie again we know you're a big listener of the show um let's <laughs> have let's have an open door policy in the catholic church please well un- unless those reports were already burned <laughs> yeah, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they were. Well, they will be now. Oh, yeah. for sure. As soon as mm-hmm. he said that, people start creating little bonfires in their backyards, I'm sure. Mm. All right. Righty. So, on to the news now from around Europe. Something caught my attention from Italy, and it is a resignation of the uh, education minister. The Italian government recently has approved a budget, and uh, apparently in that budget they did not give enough funding for education, and therefore the Minister of Education has resigned. And as it turned out... Sorry, did, did he resign as a protest against the budget? or? Yeah, he couldn't do his... Yeah. Work with he couldn't that... do his job unless he yeah. got more money. Okay, good. So he was, he's actually an ex-professor himself, fairly young, early 40s. He had some good ideas uh, of the education reform, which is sorely needed in Italy, apparently. He was very passionate about the climate change and education around climate change. But what has become, for, for me personally, a very interesting point that I've discovered was that um, according to Organization for Economic Corporations and Development, OECD, the amount of money that country spends on education in Italy is very low. It was 3, 3.9% of the gross domestic product. And this puts Italy behind the OECD average of 5%. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Italian teachers are less educated and are paid significantly less than the counterparts in most of the Western European countries, which again came as a surprise to me. It sounds like the country was in, in dire need for investment into education and educational reform. So, so the report shows that Italy is at the level of Turkey and Greece in terms of education. So, you know, he's he's tried to inject that sort of um, young and positive energy, but obviously... It wasn't enough, and uh, I don't know if the resignation was the right thing to do for him, kind of like a give up, you know, and uh, leave. But he made a lot of noise uh, in the process. He's been talking to international publications, the New York Times, and uh, attracted attention of the uh, wider international community, which is a good thing. So Yes, even we heard about it, yeah. Yeah, so hopefully this will have some good uh, rippled effect. I do know now that, I think he resigned a couple of weeks ago, and I do know now that he was replaced by two different people. Instead of education minister, there's like a university Mm -hmm. minister and then the education minister. So we'll have to watch that and see how the uh, story develops. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm no economist, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that cutting your education budget is going to cost you in the long term surely right well but Absolutely. so and also what was so ironic in the same news um list of news from the italy there was another article that said italy approves 900 million rescue for bank popolare di bari so 
<laughs> they somehow find magically these enormous amount yeah. of money for things like rescuing the banks. But unfortunately, they don't have any money for education. And that seems to be a recurrent theme, not just in Italy, but in other countries. Yeah, too. I was just about to say that. That seems very strange. We've heard that in a number of places before. Always enough money yeah. to bail out the banks. Uh, always enough money to bail out the banks. Always enough money to start the wars, but never enough money to for health and education. Yep. Yeah. Come on, Italy, fix yourselves up. <laughs> All right. So this story comes to us courtesy of the BBC. Now, Yelena Pontus, dear listeners, I'm going to blow your mind here. Exciting news that we have out is that exercise is good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But let's put it into a bit of context here. So the headline is the NHS uh, is to offer cancer patients prehab fitness plan to boost recovery and to boost recovery is in quote marks there i love the term prehab though that's uh like rehab except beforehand so yeah. what's going what's happening here is newly diagnosed cancer patients are to be offered nhs gym sessions before they start chemotherapy in the hope of boosting the speed of their recovery so thousands are going to be invited to sign up for a prehab fitness program within 48 hours of being diagnosed. And the aim is to make them, quote, match fit um, ahead of chemotherapy or major surgery. So the experts are hoping that this uh, fitness regime is going to reduce the time that they spend in hospital by sort of priming them for their recovery. And I think intuitively it kind of makes sense. If you're in generally better shape, then you are more likely to recover quickly or recover quicker or at least be in a position to leave hospital earlier. So the workouts are going to be like high-intensity cardio, some strength-based training, nutritional advice, and mental health support are all going to be made um, available. Now, this hasn't been rolled out completely across the you know the, the entire country. It looks like it's a sort of a pilot study. Uh, there's 500 patients already taking part in Greater Manchester, and another 2,000 expected to participate over the next two years. Apparently, there's similar services being run in, in London and in Leicester and in Yorkshire as well. So, uh -huh. uh, you know, I, again, uh, I'm going to blow your mind here. Being treated for cancer isn't fun guys it's it's mm. pretty nasty stuff you know chemotherapy radiotherapy uh, all takes its toll on your body for sure so you know the the thought is that there is some increasing evidence that it's really worthwhile trying to get match fit ahead of that chemo or major surgery so as i say they're trying to reduce the time that you have to spend in hospital and reduce the number of readmissions that are required now, um, what evidence do we have at the moment? Not too much. Did a little bit of digging, and there is a, a pretty good report that Macmillan Cancer Support put together. So Macmillan are a charity in the UK uh, that primarily provide um, palliative care. But they've got a good report here that talks about the evidence for physical activity performed before cancer treatment, during cancer treatment, and after cancer treatment. And for what we can see here is that the evidence summary that they've got and the evidence level is very much sort of preliminary. In other words, it's kind of too early to be able to confidently say, yes, this is worthwhile doing and it increases survival rates. But, you know, I think 
intuitively we can say that it's it's a bonus to the patients and you know i think if you're generally in better health you might be more predisposed towards multiple courses of chemotherapy i know there are certain people who go through you know one round or two rounds of treatment and then maybe decide against further treatment after that because of the toll it's taken on their body so potentially good news here from the nhs and it will be interesting to see how the numbers bear out for that in the future yeah, good. Mm. Yeah, it's so, as you say. It it sounds very intuitively. It mm. sounds very obvious that, but but you have to test it, of course. And uh, it's interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know there's there's a few other areas. It's not not necessarily just cancer support or cancer treatment, but I I know there are occasions where patients are advised to you know lose weight or do exercise before they go into mm. other types of surgery so you know it, it, it makes sense that you sort of expand that out to um to cancer care mm. yeah yeah staying fit is good for you guys uh, mm. yeah so listen to the european skeptics podcast where you're at the gym folks good recommendation <laughs> very good that's where we record as well exactly yeah I, i'm yeah <laughs> i'm pumping iron as i speak here <laughs> Not even breaking a sweat. All right, different topic. I wanted to go follow up on the Samoa measles outbreak because we talked about it a couple of times and there's some news there now. Good news, actually. In a meeting on the 28th of December, the cabinet of Samoa decided to cancel the state of emergency declared due to the measles outbreak and they concluded that they could do this because they had finally reached about 95% vaccination rate of all eligible people in Samoa. That's their words, eligible people. Uh, I don't know exactly how they define that, but uh, we recognize the 95%. That's what we say always is what you need to keep the disease in, in check. Uh, and it's quite an accomplishment because earlier this year, when the year started, the vaccination rate was estimated about to be about 30%. Mm. So, um, yeah. We, we have talked about a little bit how this happened. How do you get to 30% of uh, vaccination rate when you want to be as high as possible, uh, over 95%. It was a combination of a vaccination accident last year where two nurses mixed the vaccine with an anesthetic solution instead of water, which killed two children very tragically. And of course, PR-wise, it was a terrible uh, blow to the vaccination program there. And it was followed by heavy anti-vax propaganda by a couple of individuals, one of whom uh, now is in jail. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, but the emergency is declared over. I hope they didn't call that too early. I'm sure they'll still be working on getting this under control because it's been a terrible blow to the Samoan community. Almost 6,000 people out of 200,000 people have had the measles this year in this outbreak. It's like 3%. Well, it's exactly three percent of the of the population. That's terrible. And and the death and, toll uh, was like eighty one. Eighty one oh. individuals have died. Uh, last I checked. Okay, so that's that's more yeah. than ten percent of people who are infected. No, excuse me. Let me no, let no. me get my mathematics right. It's no, more it's, uh, more than one percent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's exactly. that's that's high. That is high. It, usually we say it's about one in a thousand. Or, Something uh, like that, yeah. But it's more, yeah. it seems like it's been more like one in a 
hundred here, and and yeah. you know as always it it is the the more vulnerable in society who are going to sure. suffer the most. It's, yeah. it's children. It's uh, you know people with yeah. other health conditions. Maybe there's a link with poverty as well. So, you know that that yeah. mistake mm-hmm. you know a year ago mm-hmm. and and the uh, the ramifications of that as seized on by by the anti-vaxxer community. And you know realistically you can understand public perception being affected by that. But you know there's very little good news coming out of Samoa at the moment. So, you know, the fact that we're out of the state of emergency and, you know, maybe going forward now that that vaccination rate's going to remain high, I guess that's the only comfort we can take from it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting side note here. I'm going to link to these communications from the Samoan government and I struggled to find them, but it appears that they only publish these documents on Facebook. (laughs) So, So... Wow. It, but it okay. seems to be that that's the way they communicate. I guess it's a small country. They can't afford to build their own big website, so they use what's available. Get off okay. Facebook, Samoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, that don't say that because then people won't know about the vaccination. Yeah, like <sighs> and share, like and share. <laughs> yeah. What about Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> All right. In Russian news now. Ah, oh, gosh. Russia has been uh, a key figure in a doping scandal for years now. Um, mm. There was a documentary that came out. Um, there was a lot written and said about this. And um, on the 9th of December, the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, they have officially issued Russia with the notice that uh, the, the Russia will be banned from all international sporting events for the next four years due to non-compliance with anti-doping agency rules. They gave Russia 21 days to appeal and Russia has done so. So the appeal has been officially filed on 27th of December mm-hmm. within the 21-day window. In this appeal, I will quote, in accordance with Article 1031 RUSADA, herewith disputes the notice in its entirety, including what is assertion of non-compliance, the alleged, in brackets, facts upon which such assertions is based, as well as the sanctions and reinstatement uh, conditions set out in the notice, all of which are unfounded, end quote. Mm. This is now going to be passed on to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, or CAS for short, and the dispute will be resolved by the CAS Ordinary Arbitration Division. I don't even know. I, I think Putin also came out and said that this it's unjust, unfair to Russia. So Russia cannot compete under the Russian flag or use the Russian hymn. However, the Russian athletes individually who were not part of the scandal and were not using the drugs and can prove that they are clean, uh, they can compete under neutral banners. So they, they're not going to be competing as Russians, but they can compete in these events that mm-hmm. that are upcoming. I think it's going to be a huge blow to a Russian economy, considering that they were going to participate in 2020 games and 2022, so 2020 Olympic Games, 2022 football championship that they won't be able to compete anymore. They cannot for the next four years also apply to hold any events in Russia. I'm not surprised that this is the pushback that um, came out of Russia. They very much think that there is nothing wrong with what's been going on, which is... 
very yeah. how can they say that i mean there are there's proof of the dopings happening and i don't know guys if you knew about this but um so part of the investigation that took place in the last uh, few years was this lab- laboratory during the the 2014 Sochi Olympic Games huge huge uh, doping scandal so the laboratory who was providing the test analysis they had a hole in the wall where they would put the uh, you know the, where they would exchange the com- uh, contaminated <laughs> urine with a clean urine and then create the you know and make that the, the tests uh, the tested the urine samples that they then f- Kind of. Uh, I, I just. I'm just thinking. I'm hoping that this is not the same laboratory that they keep the the smallpox vaccine, oh. so that they get things confused. I was just thinking so, that is the worst ever use for a glory hole ever. I know. <laughs> and it's it's you know, and then they cover, try to cover up the cover up, and um, yeah. the, the evidence is pretty clear. And. The, there can be, I guess, an argument made that Russia is not the only country that is using doping to win and uh, whose yeah. athletes are using. And so the, the Russia is kind of currently is the center of attention for the doping scandal. But there yeah. should be other countries hold accountable for something like that as well, and they're not. And so that's that's an argument that can be made. I totally get it. But no, I think it's a very comp- bad argument. I think if you, you if you get caught robbing a bank, uh-huh. you can't point to somebody else. You but say, he did and it first. Also, yeah. you know, that doesn't really <laughs> well, help. Well, so I think no, I think the doping across the sports world should be tackled. Yeah, internationally. But uh, but I think Russia cannot say, oh, we haven't done anything wrong because they clearly have. Mm. I, I was just going to say, I, I think there's a clear lane of differentiation that has to be drawn between individual athletes or, or sportsmen and women who are cheating versus large scale organized cheating that is systematic within within an organization. And I'm guessing that there's a sort of a threshold where, you know, once you pass a certain number of people, there's an assumption that it is being organised and perhaps Russia are doing that. So, you know, if there are other countries where there there are doping cheats, and for sure there are, if if it's not being organised, you know, by you know by the actual coaches and and whatever, then you know that's that's when it's appropriate to punish the individuals rather than the collective. Mm. But I'm I'm surprised that they didn't mention that if that's the case in the appeal. They just said this is unfair and not true. Wouldn't you elaborate a little bit why this well, was unfair and unfair? Well, like if Vladimir so Putin says it's untrue, this, then who are we to yeah. argue with them? You know, <laughs> I, I I'm assuming I this will get... all come out during the the hearing uh, at this court of arbitration for sports. Um, yeah. You know, oh, okay. during this appeal, so we'll see what the what comes out there. Just to kind of re- repeat the note. The the uh, Russian individual Russian athletes can still compete, but they cannot compete under the Russian uh, flag. So, but not the football team, though. Or will there so, be a, a football team all in white clothes uh, running around? <laughs> you don't know what country they so, represent. I, I would like to invite all the Russian football players to come and play for Scotland because we need all the fucking help yeah. we can get. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the ban doesn't apply to the next European Championship uh, football games in St. Petersburg because it's not international, because it's just Europe. 
okay. And then, and what? then that's international, isn't uh, it? Or not a, a sort of local, presumably. Local. It's not World Cup. It's okay. continental. It's world. The, the world. The, so the World Cup, they cannot. So the 2022, the Qatar one, they won't be able to participate in that one. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. But the okay. European, they can. And there are a couple of other ones that they... So they're hosting a uh, major sports competition uh, in 2022, the Men's Volleyball World Championship. So they already Let's signed contracts. Let's not describe the Men's Volleyball World Championship as a major event. Well, <laughs> That's going to be but like it, the teams ban- and their parents watching that. <laughs> well, under this ban, they, they shouldn't be able to do that. But I'm sure the money is already exchanged hands. And I don't know how they're going to play that one out. But yes, yeah, so so the uh, the Olympic uh, Games and the, and the World Cup, the football World Cup, is the the big two big ones that are upcoming that they won't be able to participate okay. in. Anyways, so yeah, let's see how that plays out. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> or fuck not. volleyball. No, I'm only kidding. If there's any listeners that play volleyball, you get stuck right in there. <laughs> did I say volleyball or basketball? I thought you said volleyball. <laughs> Oh, yeah, volleyball. Yes, I did say volleyball. Sorry, volleyball. Okay, good. So let's reiterate. Fuck volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so there we go. Uh, Denial, denial, more denial. Not very productive, really, for Russians. I don't think they know how to deal with (laughs) transgressions properly. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Back to me. So this story comes from Spain. And it also comes courtesy of Google Translate. Now, I think Google, <laughs> Google Translate has been sort of taken over by the spirit of one of Batman's foes, the Riddler, and then sort of dictated by Yoda because it's uh, it's a little bit hard to understand. So any Spanish listeners we have, um, feel free to um, figure out whether I've represented this yeah. story correctly or not. And uh, send your complaints to Pontus and Yelena because I won't be here next week. So um, I, that, that, I think that's the first time we ask for corrections before we've even said anything. So I, yeah, I, I think we should be doing that with all of my segments, folks. So, uh, you know, corrections in advance, please. So uh, the headline is the homeopathy sector uses the demands on its clinical efficacy, which doesn't really clearly tell as much of what's going on. But what is happening is the Natural Therapies Foundation is launching a judicial challenge on the Spanish government because of recent legislation which dictates that you have to prove that your medicine actually works before you can sell it. Hmm. So, in other words, the homeopaths are fighting back. Do we have any homeopath jokes to put in here, guys? A homeopath walks into a bar. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we'll usually leave that blank because there's nothing in it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, listeners, insert your lame homeopathic jokes here as well. Um, so, uh, the, the fight undertaken by the Ministry of Health against all pseudotherapies, practices without scientific evidence, has now entered the commercial field. So, the Natural Therapies Foundation, promoted by companies and associations of the self-appointed natural medicine sector has announced the presentation of a contentious administrative appeal against that royal decree. So the new regulations would 
quote, uh, would deprive the homeopathic medicine of singularity and would, re would require guarantees and precautions that do not correspond to it. With a consequent increase in the production of the medicine, the withdrawal of current authorizations, and the shortage of the Spanish market. So again, I don't think that's translating too well. But essentially, what it's saying is this, you know, um, new legislation by the Spanish government could strike a death blow to homeopathy in Spain and cause them major funding problems. And mm -hmm. of course, we weep for them. Salty tears. That's a a, a one C dilution of, of salt in my tears for them. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any more information about the, the sort of nature of that lawsuit that they're bringing. Uh, the organization has declined to respond to requests for information from the newspaper that's, that sent it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Ministry of Health also says that they have not yet received formal communication of the lawsuit. Um, ah. But I, I did jump very quickly across to the, let me try and pronounce this correctly, in fact, you know what? Let me not. Let me try and pronounce this incorrectly. The mm -hmm. Fundacion Therapis Naturalis. Uh, so that's the organization that apparently is bringing the lawsuit. And again, there there is a news item in there about the lawsuit they're bringing, but it doesn't give much in the way of detail. The translation's not great, but it, apparently <laughs> they are totes unhappy about the decision of the government and they're going to smack on back on it. Yeah. You know, if... If somebody required of me that I would prove that a homeopathic pill works, then I would protest as well and say that's not fair. Yeah, and and that's essentially what they're doing. This is this is like mm. a kid getting sent to bed and not being able to provide a great reason why they should be allowed to stay up late other than mm. hey mom, hey dad, it's not fair. Mm. But, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Of course, we're hoping that the lawsuit will be smacked down, but it wouldn't be the first time that a court decision went the wrong way. If there is a sympathetic or not incredibly intelligent judge or jury there, then, you know, rulings can be made against uh, uh, against mm. common sense and against what the science says. So. Keep your eyes open, folks. Let's see how this one plays out. If it plays out well for us, you know, maybe not a death blow, but, you know, a good old smacking down of, of homeopathy and other alternative therapies in general. Because from what I can see, uh, this Spanish legislation appears to be pretty wide ranging across all the alternative health uh, modalities. Yeah. No, it's been a, last year was a, a bad year for homeopathy, which is good. I mean, it was in France, in the UK. They're still around in, in Germany, but we're waiting for them to come around. And then now Spain. So uh, that's good. Clearly, it's going mm. to take longer in Germany since that was the birthplace of it, right? Yeah, but they are discussing it. And there was rumors, but then they backed down. But maybe maybe this year, 2020, is, 2020 will be the year when homeopathy gets banned in Germany. Not banned, but at least not funded in Germany. Yeah, for Let's sure. I mean, when, when I was talking to that group of students last week, you know, one of the questions I had was about homeopathic uh, teething remedy for, mm. for children, which is very much mm. in my interest at the moment because I have a child who just cut mm. her first tooth a couple of weeks ago. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, yeah, Boots the Chemist is, is still apparently happy to sell products to parents 
uh, with children in discomfort, even though they know for sure that those products do not work. So anyhow, I, I explained that to the uh, to the students I was mm. giving a lecture to. It was a 6C remedy, so I sort of put that into um, understandable terms for them. If you pour 10 bottles of vodka into Loch Ness, does the, uh, the Loch Ness monster get drunk? Uh, and the answer <laughs> is no. Um, so that's effectively like a 6C remedy. And, and, and again, because a lot of people don't know about it, when you explain it to them, the eyes pop out and they, and they, they can't believe that this thing's been sold legitimately in chemists, uh, that it's been prescribed by doctors and, and what have you. So, you know, I certainly applaud the Spanish government on cracking down hard on this sort of thing. Mm. Uh, it's, it sounded that you're saying sexy remedy, not 6C. Ooh, uh, a sec uh, if you want a sexy remedy, then come to me. Um, if you want a 6C <laughs> remedy, then go to Boots. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, don't want to have any misunderstandings. Oh, I, was, I was much more interested in sexy remedy. Dr. Anyway. Brian is, is open for patience. <laughs> uh. All right. Okay, let's go further away than we usually go, uh, namely to Brazil, because it has also some repercussions for Europe. Um, and also because I have a bit of a personal interest. Uh, I, you can say that I had my first real confrontation with someone regarding this guy that I'm going to talk about. So what am I talking about? I think many of our listeners may have heard of the Brazilian so-called healer and charlatan John of God. You, you, have you heard of him? I, I, I have. Yes, I've heard of John of God. Brian has. He gets points. By his... <laughs> I can be lying. By this... It's unfair. Yes, I, 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 I'm I certainly more likely to lie if I knew there was points up for grabs as well. So yeah, uh, not only do I know him, oh, I could tell you all about him, but I don't have time. Right. Okay. So John of God, uh, by his own account, only has three years of schooling in his entire life, which hasn't stopped him from building up a full-scale industry around so-called psych psychic surgery and other fake healing techniques, which he administers to tens of thousands of people every year who travel to his place in Brazil to be cured uh, of everything from a broken heart to uh, stage four cancer. He's been extremely popular. Famously, he's been a guest at Oprah Winfrey's uh, TV show, which was a big boost for him. Uh, from Europe, there have been chartered trips down to Brazil to meet him at his own village, uh, at least from Sweden and Ireland that I know of, but probably from other countries as well. And this is where my adventure came into uh, play several years ago. Uh, not with the guy himself, of course, but with a local travel agency here in Malmö, where I live, who advertised trips to his place. And I contacted them and eventually got them to stop, but only after being personally threatened by the travel agency owner over the phone. I was going to lose my job. I was going, well, I won't repeat everything he said. Wow. Wow. Uh, he knew where I worked, etc. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I've been following John of God a little bit special extra since then. Anyway, literally millions of people have been at his place in Brazil over the years, uh, making him extremely wealthy as well. However, in 2018, his luck turned around when he was accused of sex abuse and rape. And there were so many women coming forward at one point that the local prosecution office created a specific email address and a phone line to receive all of them. And in just 30 hours, more than 200 different complaints were registered. 
Wow. Now, finally, on 19th of December, he was sentenced to 19 years in jail for rape of four women. And I think uh, there are more trials underway. In any case, I believe it is the end of his career because he is now 77 years old and hopefully he will spend the rest of his life in jail. So the, it's always, <laughs> it's, the story is old as, as is the world, right? It's all about sex mm. and money. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Strangely enough, uh, you know, he wasn't happy with just the money. He had to uh, abuse uh, the, the, all the women that and, came there as well. And presu mm. presumably he, he was having sex with them in a prete pretending that it's going to cure whatever ailments they have, I'm assuming. I wasn't there in the room, but uh, <laughs> I, w I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, mm. yeah let, let's just make sure that the type of things that he was doing is very different to Dr. Ego's um, sexy remedies, okay? The mine are legitimate, his <laughs> clearly are not. Well, I, I would assume that uh, Dr. Brian asked consent first. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's at least one difference. Right, well, wow. Uh, what kind of, can I just want to ask about this mm -hmm. agency in, in Sweden? What, mm -hmm. did, what did they offer? Was, what, was, what was the package like? They were organizing uh, trips with a guide and basically they chartered a plane and uh, you signed up and you went with this uh, Swedish speaking guide who'd been there a lot of, many times and allegedly knew uh, John of God. So they had uh, some, I, I think they said in the ad that they had some fast lanes so, because there's huge queues to just to get to to see this guy in thousands of people just lining up and um, did they did yeah. they allege that you you get like cures and whatever else they did not make any specific okay. uh, medical uh, statements in the travel ad no but i contacted them and said you you shouldn't really be promoting this guy he is a scumbag and he's lying and uh, that's not what they wanted to hear so you, you went somewhere else instead. I'm going to go to Lourdes and have something healed when I'm there. <laughs> yeah. It quite expensive trips as well, I think. But because you, it, I think there was two week trips. So the cost was around two and a half thousand euros or something. Plus all the expenses and plus that you're made to buy all the, the fake remedies that he's, was, he's also selling. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some juice that he's, uh, he always recommends. Amazingly, there's one <laughs> fruit juice that he only he produces that cures everything. Uh, I, I think the juices that he produces he's been delivering <laughs> is the problem here. Dirty mind of uh, Dr. Brian there. Thank Cl you. Clinical mind. <laughs> Alrighty, great stuff. Lots of things happening. That's it for this uh, for this week's news, and we are on to the next segment of our show. They're really wrong. So it's a new year, but as we record this, we're still wrapping up the last one. Uh, lots of awards and lists of memorable events and people of. Uh, 2019 in the media and one person that keeps popping up of course is Greta Thunberg. She came from nowhere during the last parts of 2018 and in 2019 she became a superstar meeting the Pope and lots of other prominent people and world leaders uh, talking at UN meetings and of course she was also selected person of the year by Time magazine. So Basically, most sensible people like her and uh, recognize that she's doing something special in creating awareness of climate change. But she doesn't sit 
so well with everyone. The latest guy to come out against her is the Archbishop of Krakow in uh, Poland, Marek Jedraszewski. Uh, Greta Thunberg is a bad Christian, he says. You see, he has read this book that you may have heard of, where it says that humankind should quote-unquote subdue the earth for its own needs. What he's trying to say, I guess, is that we have a divine right to run this one planet that we have fully into the ground and use it until there's nothing left. And he went on to say, quote, The whole world order is being reversed, starting from the fact that the existence of God, the creator, is being questioned. The role and dignity of every human being is questioned. And um, this... Uh, Archbishop accuses Greta Thunberg for totally breaking with the Christian tradition because I guess nothing is more Christian than destroying the earth. So he has come to the only logical conclusion. Greta Thunberg is the Antichrist. Wow. (laughs) It totally follows, right? Uh, Otherwise she wouldn't want us to take care of this only planet that we have. Yeah. Luckily, not even his own Pope seems to agree with him because Francis himself has spoken quite highly about uh, Greta and the Green Movement on several occasions. Yeah, for sure. All right, two things here. Number one, let's Mm -hmm. get the pronunciation right, Pontus. It's Greta Thunberg. Okay. Uh, no, that's not correct. No, 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 no I'm pretty sure. Don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm, you can fix it in post, okay? Greta Thunberg. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, do you know what? Like, let's take it at his word. If it is hmm? our biblical right to subdue the planet, right? Mm, We've mm. kind of done that, right? We kind of did that <laughs> a while ago, okay? That doesn't mean we fucking dry hump it into extinction, though. No. Surely there's a, a, you know, a little bit of a common ground that he can find here with environmentalists. Uh, also, what, one thing I was thinking when I was reading this was that some people like him actually want the world to end. They want the Antichrist to come because that would then bring around the rapture or whatever yeah. they think oh, is going to happen. That's right. it's, sure. like, it's like they see all this as a sign of the end of times and they like, mm. yeah, presumably getting excited about it. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Long tradition. Ending the world uh, since uh, 2000 years ago and it's happening imminently <laughs> all the time. All the and time. And somehow yeah. we're still here. That's yeah. one of those things though. Like they say that they, they've got such a hard on for the end of the world, but I don't think they'd enjoy it if it came you know um no i don't something tells me they won't yeah yeah fact fact (laughs) is they probably know like you know old bishop of krakow here he knows like he's an old dude you know climate change isn't directly going to affect him he'll be fine until he dies you know and and so it's it's so easy for them for him to speak out Mm -hmm. but you know, yeah. you know, get, giving Pope Frankie a little bit of credit, as you say, Pontus, you know, they are mm-hmm. a little bit more science friendly, even with regards to evolution, as I understand. So, um, you know, get, yeah. get in line, please. Yeah, I think Francis should have a good talking to this Jedraszewski guy. Yeah, come on, Frankie. Fix good up. pronunciation. Well done, Pontus. Yeah, good pronunciation. Oh, oh. Yeah. Frankie, I have no idea how it's pronounced. Jedraszewski no, sounds seem to be... Oh, yeah. okay, good. So let me say it once again then. For insisting that Greta Thunberg, and that is the correct pronunciation. Greta Thunberg. Uh, for insisting that she is the Antichrist because she wants to take away his God-given right to destroy the world, Marek Jedraszewski, Archbishop of Krakow, 
get today's prize for being really wrong. And I think we have mentioned this guy before, and I couldn't find it, but I believe it was something about hating the gays. So he seems like a sweet old man. What a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Pontus. Um, so I think this is it. This, this concludes the show, as uh, Andres would say, but he's not here, so I'm saying that. <laughs> um, but I will just give you a quote for today. And this quote is from Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, the only victories which have no regret are those which are gained over ignorance. I mean, admittedly, this quote was said by a man who is responsible for approximately uh, between three and a half to six and a half million people dead. But I think it's still pretty good quote. Yeah. (laughs) So you'll be quoting Hitler next time or what's Uh, what's going? uh, Watch this space. (laughs) (laughs) Working your way up. (laughs) Sorry, down, down. Down, down. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do want to win the fight over ignorance. So I, I guess I agree. Yeah, and you can help win the fight over ignorance by subscribing to us on Patreon, right? Yes, that's right. Go to patreon.com slash the ESP and you can uh, send us a, uh, well, a little gift of uh, one, two or three or five or how many dollars you want to, because it is dollars for some reason for each show that we produce. You can also set a limit and also... And and maybe not everybody knows that you will get a gift from us if you when you have donated more than $25 over time, we will send you a little present. So do that. Yeah. And uh, as always, you can get in touch with us via various means. Uh, you can email us and our email address is info at theesp.eu. You can also go on our website, theesp.eu and complete a form there. Follow us on Facebook and tweet at us. On Twitter, our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. And um, of course, if you listen to our show on iTunes, leave us a review. It helps to promote the show. A glowing review. A glowing, glowing. review. <laughs> as many stars as they yeah. allow you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. If you, yeah. you donate yeah. enough money, folks, I'll come around and give you a sexy remedy as well. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> New Patreon goal. New new Patreon goal. You're going to lose all your subscribers because of that now. Um, And yeah, tell your friends, spread the news about the show. And and yeah, send us corrections, specifically me. Um, Send us news news stories as well, folks. It saves us having to go digging and using Google Translate. Maybe if our friends across Europe can give us a a news story and maybe some... uh, you know, language-specific yeah. uh, background to it that helps us uh, uh, elucidate them to the audience, then uh, we would be very appreciative of that. I heard you say something you didn't say, which was much better than what you wanted to say. It's not Google Translate, it's Giggle Translate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, indeed. All right, thanks very much, guys. It's been fun as always. Until next week, paka paka. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. 
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I can say, what's the word? Ne- never improvise. I think next... <laughs> <laughs> Have to wow, have one, th- one this, for the outtakes. This is a hell of a teaser, Pontus. This better be good. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> to prove that they are... Um, uh, oh, motherfuck. All right, let me try that one again. <laughs> what he has setting... What, what he has... <laughs> Bloody cat. No, that's not no, a cat. That's not a cat. <laughs> okay, that's fine. No, my cat is just purring nicely. Okay, my can, my daughter can, is not purring nicely. Can you tell Ivy? Can you tell Ivy to take a, a lead from the cat? Do you know what? I, Ivy's clearly very upset at your story about mm. Tim Bishop. Right. Okay. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. This is probably the best part of the the episode. Now we see Brian moving from from room to room, trying to make sure that's all the that excitement we, don't... we get for today, right? Yeah, yeah. Here we go. <clears throat> okay. Sorry, um, Pontus. Yeah. No worries. So where was I? <laughs>